We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Stephen Haglin, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show. As always, we do appreciate any ratings, reviews, likes, subscribes, comments on any podcast platform, including YouTube. And I want to start today off by giving a shout out to one of our sponsors, The Backroom Collection. You can find him on Twitter at The Backroom C-O-L-2. Again, that's The Backroom C-O-L-2. Uh, he has been putting out some fire chargers prints, and I think any football fan should check him out and be able to upgrade their man cave, their workout you know, situation, their home office, their actual office. Check him out online, thebackroomcollection.net. If you use the code GAC, that's G-A-C, on your first purchase, you get 10% off. He is even going to be able to attend a Justin Herbert signing. He's got a bunch of Justin Herbert prints that he will have signed by the man himself. Again, use the code GAC for 10% off at thebackroomcollection.net. Thank you so much for supporting him and our show. That being said, let's get to it. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gotcha. gosh. I'm sorry. I uh, I can't hold it together right now. I, I won the picks contest, so I made Alex buy me a yellow jersey. And in between us starting the countdown, and now Tyler also put on a yellow jersey. Uh, so, Alex, how you doing, man? Fuck both of you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed at Matt Stafford for losing me the picks contest. I, I don't know how this happened, but yeah, Steven is wearing a piss-stained yellow jersey. I could have had a white Herbert, but Matt yeah. Stafford decided to throw the picks contest away. So congrats to Steven. He won, though. He has terrible taste in jerseys. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's cool. I'm great that you guys double-teamed on me. So. <laughs> well yeah watch that someone's gonna send alex a yellow jersey now just to be just to be fun um you know and uh, i can't wait so uh tyler is here as well he's he's got a fresh beard uh, for the first time you know seeing tyler with some facial hairs tyler how you doing man i'm great i must ask you a question but i'm shaving it for later <laughs> you guys are double teaming on me on the beard too because i can't even grow alex can you stop talking about us double teaming you i really appreciate <laughs> yeah. it 
<laughs> well, I'm, it's, too uh... I'm too loopy. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> My mind went straight to offensive line play because uh, oh, no. it's kind of well, the yeah, of the you're night. the Mormon <laughs> on the show. Of course, you're my good offensive <laughs> line play. <laughs> Jason gosh. said he spilled mustard on your shirt. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so we we had a really fun evening already. We got to interview Ode Abuji earlier this evening. Had a great conversation with him talking about uh, the season and his recovery and things like that. So uh, that's going to be dropping tomorrow. So I hope you guys enjoy that one. Uh, he was a fantastic interview. So I uh, can't thank him enough for joining us. So uh, today's show is going to be similar to last week's. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a position review of the Chargers season. Today we're going to be doing offensive line and uh, running backs. So Alex's favorite positions, he gets to look at the yellow jerseys and then get to talk about offensive line and Larry Roundtree tonight. So um, <laughs> it's going to be a fun one regardless. I think it's, we're going to have some good conversation about um, those two position groups and kind of what to look forward to. Uh, next year but first and foremost um, we wanted to chat about the uh, decision by Sean Payton to retire because obviously the Chargers have some uh, coaching connections there with Joe Lombardi Frank Smith and Michael Wilhoit who were all on the New Orleans staff um, although Frank Smith wasn't really recently I think Frank Smith was like early 2010s um, but you know I, I think it's definitely worth mentioning here we of course can uh, talk about it as a whole because Sean Payton obviously was a huge pillar of uh, NFL football in recent memory. So Tyler, um, you know, what was your kind of your reaction to Sean Payton retiring? And then um, what's your initial thought process in terms of potentially poaching some talent, whether it be through trade or pending free agents or potential cut candidates as well? Yeah. And I mean, good for him, I guess. It doesn't seem like he's really retiring. He's just kind of like stepping away from the Saints for a bit. I don't know how that contract situation shakes out, but hey, he looked happy talking about it at that press conference. So if he's happy, that's great. He obviously brought a championship to that city with Drew Brees. Um, so good for them. I always respected, you know, the way they did things. And it was it was fun watching them. I did almost become a Saints fan instead of a Chargers fan when I was kind of picking, mostly because Reggie Bush went there. So it's like, and I'm a USC fan. Um, so that was kind of something I was looking at, but I went with the Chargers and then the Saints won a championship in about two years uh, and I'm still a Chargers fan. So unfortunately they got the better end of it that um, now good for him. But my initial reaction after that was, well, who can we get? You know, me. And if you, if you've been in, you two are my fantasy football league and you know, my thing is I'm going to draft and or trade for every player possible. I don't <laughs> care if it screws up my entire cap situation. I am the new Orleans saints of fantasy football. And to me, you know, when opportunity presents itself, you want to take it. And so, you know, to me, I, I, I'm, well, we can talk about it once Alex does his reaction, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking to some of these players and thinking, you know, there aren't as many players as I would have hoped that were either available. Like I forget who the article uh, was today, but they talked about how a lot of their young nucleus isn't going to be available. So that's kind of a bummer. And there aren't a ton of players that are on that team um, that are going to be available, but you can see some of those veterans. I think it's worth a look. Uh, it was Steven Rees, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, um, can we ask him to take Jared Cook back now? Do they? Do, <laughs> do you think they want him back? Uh, I don't know. Uh, as far as the coaching connections, I, I think it'll be interesting. Maybe, you know, hey, maybe in, given Lombardi's connections there, he'll get some kind of head coaching interview. I don't think that's crazy to think about, although I think they'll probably look at their uh, internal candidates first. That's really the first place my mind went is what guys with Chargers could theoretically be 
back on that coaching staff whenever it's formed post Sean Payton. Um, as far as Sean Payton, I have fewer nice things to say. I mean, as the instigator of Bounty Gate and the guy who took yeah, a year off true. because of it, uh, and then came back and then completely blew up the Saints cap and then decided, ah, I'm going to take a year off. It's sort of like someone who just poked a bunch of holes in the bottom of the boat and then decided to swim off. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's a character. Uh, so it's going to be fun when he's uh, in the NFC East after Jerry Jones pays him a ton of money next year and trades a first round <laughs> pick for him. Uh, but uh, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I think like Tyler said, what the Saints built there was, uh, was overall good, even though I don't like Sean Payton. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that'll be, Interesting down the road. I don't have a ton of instant Chargers reactions. Um, I don't know if there's like a lot of players they can coach just because the Saints have so many guys under contract right now. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I, people have talked about like, can a guy become available after they trade and, you know, someone like Lattimore. Um, I don't think it'll happen, even though the Chargers have the cap space to make it happen. I think the Saints would absorb a lot of dead cap with that kind of deal, too. So, um, don't think much of the Sean Payton thing initially, but things could always change and the coaching candidates move fast. Yeah. Um, you know, Sean Payton retiring it, um, it definitely caught me by surprise. I figured that like the rumors from a couple of weeks ago were him trying to be like, Hey, like go get me a quarterback. I'm sick of not having a guy like Drew Brees on my team. Um, granted he did choose Taysom Hill for that very reason. And now they're going to be stuck in cap hell in part because he chose Taysom Hill. So, um, it is, you know, a rather interesting decision to, you know, leave this team with negative $70 million in cap space. And of course the saints have been in negative cap space for years and every single year they are able to figure it out, um, you know, with their GM and their cap wizard, who I forget his name is. Um, but you know, the, the saints are going to be in an interesting spot because, you know, could they kind of shed a bunch of talent? Sure. But their most of their core is intact. Like they'll lose Marcus Williams, my guy from Utah. But you know they have Demario Davis, they have Cam Jordan, they have uh, Marcus Davenport, they have David Onyemata, they have uh, all these players. Ryan Ramchek, they'll lose to Ron Armstead most likely. Um, but if they bring back Jameis, I feel like they can still be pretty competitive. I mean, if they're able to, you know, kind of keep the same coaching staff intact without Sean Payton, whether that be promoting. Dennis Allen or not it's just the decision of well should they do that or should they rebuild or, or kind of what the thought process there is and I think a lot of that depends on what Tom Brady decides to do if he does decide to retire then I don't think that the Saints are going to be doing moving any players because they're going to look at that as you know the prime opportunity to win the division again and, and rightfully so because the other two teams in that division are awful so I think it's TBD if they do decide to you know kind of blow it up a little bit they're not trading Marcus Lattimore. They're not trading Ryan Ramchek. They're not trading their young players. And that's what Steven Reese from the ringer was talking about because that's just, that's bad business, right? Like, you know, you don't trade young, talented, homegrown players who are still in their prime, especially when they're at premium positions like corner and right tackle. And uh, Marcus Davenport, I feel like is in that conversation too. So if they do decide to go rebuild, then sure, potentially Cam Jordan, Demario Davis could become available. The Saints could definitely save some money by trading them. It's just a question of if, like, how much are they willing to go into a rebuild and how much does that cost a team like the Chargers who are potentially trying to pry away a future Hall of Fame edge rusher and one of the best linebackers of his generation kind of thing. 
I'm all for someone like a like a Cam Jordan. It, obviously, the price has to be right, whatever. But yeah. you know, we, we he'll be 33 this year. But it's kind of the same conversation that we have about you know, if you want Williams for 18, why not get Adams for 25? You know, Cam Jordan is going to be more expensive than in Wosu, and you are going to have to trade for him. But you know, why not pay a little bit more? And instead of bringing back in Wosu, pay a little bit more. Get the guy who had 51 pressures, 13 sacks, and 40 with three run stops. You know, and and really the difference, if you look at it this way, the difference between Nwosu's contract and what Jordan's contract is, is really just cutting Brian Balaga. So if you cut Balaga, <laughs> you kind of make up the difference there. And sure. also, I, I think if they let, so if they trade for him, they're also obviously letting let letting Nwosu go at that point. And I and trades are not included in compensatory pit calculations. So obviously, it, you know, they're. 17th pick in the third round is not going to be worth as much as the you know compensatory pick in the fourth or whatever they get next year but you could kind of play that game where you recoup some of your losses by you know because we don't expect kaiser white to return if you trade for cam jordan and wos is going to be gone so you might be able to get some compensatory picks there and work that out um so that's the only one i'm really for at this point i would say like demario davis is great but you know white not re-signing indicates they want to put their money elsewhere and so they wouldn't just get another linebacker i don't think if money is the issue then they would have just stuck with white i wouldn't see why you would trade for demario davis um, and take on that contract and his age so really the only one that i'm really interested in is cam jordan and even then i just don't expect it to happen uh really quickly address the guys you're right thing right there um we obviously haven't heard anything concrete there uh just kind of seems like the math is uh pointing towards kaiser white not returning um so you know just mention that really quickly tyler's been like moving off from white um we don't know mm -hmm. anything for certain yet obviously it's january um but it just kind of feels like uh kaiser white is not going to be on this team next year um alex feel free to jump in now after uh tyler stops there yeah no i think the one thing i thought was funny is that balaga has just become the justifying any spending moves so anytime <laughs> we cut him we're like well we have this extra 11 million yeah. <laughs> that we can use mm, we can spend it on something uh so i do kind of think that's funny um but no uh yeah i mean there's a couple guys that they can go from get from the saints and if you're talking about the difference between cam jordan and chen and wosu then yeah no I, I think that that makes sense to just go after him he's only you know 33 years old hasn't had many injuries in his career so uh, i would be all for it but i uh i don't think they're going to be moving on from camp jordan at this point uh so remains to be seen yeah it doesn't remain to be seen and, and listen cam jordan is fantastic and i totally understand the people in the chat saying uh you know he's older he would cost a lot i mean cam jordan is arguably you know one of the best players of our generation. And I still think he showed this year that he's got a lot of good ball ahead of him. And we're also seeing a bunch of players, you know, play longer in their career. So, you know, I think that would be worthwhile. Um, as for trading for Demario Davis, I'm kind of out on that one. I think he has like three years left on his deal and linebacker is a position that where you kind of fall off a cliff while he's been awesome. I think that could happen sooner than later. I think I'm focusing in on, you know, some potential free agent connections here. Um, the the Saints, really the the most obvious cut candidate for the Saints this year is their cornerback, Bradley Roby. Uh, Bradley Roby, of course, drafted by the Broncos, although he missed uh, he missed Brandon Staley and Ronaldo Hill by a year. Um, but he does have familiar with Michael Wilhoyt. He is a slot corner, has that flexibility. 
to play inside outside. He is a four former four three guy. So that would add a good amount of speed to the team. I think he's uh, a solid replacement for uh, Chris Harris. And then PJ Williams is somebody that I advocated for signing last year. He of course returned to the saints. He's like a safety nickel slot hybrid sort of player that obviously has familiarity with Michael Wilhoyd again, um, that I think would provide some good depth. And then I think a, a sleeper candidate here uh, is potentially receiver Traquan Smith. Um, obviously he kind of fits that uh, Jalen Guyton speedster slot kind of player. Um, he was with the saints, obviously with Joe Lombardi, very familiar there. Um, so I think those three are the kind of players that I think the chargers could be keeping an eye on. Uh, as much as I would love it, Marcus Williams is going to be way too expensive for them. Um, but really, those three are, are kind of the, the three players that I'm focusing in on uh, in terms of Saints connections. Yeah, I, I mean, Bradley Roby, I think the Chargers were looking for a corner in that draft that he was in. Um, they, pro I'm assuming they did their homework on him, although they did take Verrett over him. Um, but the slot group is is really, really weak. And I talked about this on Twitter, much to my surprise, <laughs> um, the top two really guys... Bad. I've done, listen, these composite rankings, I think they are legitimate. I think they work to at least give you a really solid indication of how guys are on a per play basis. Everything's working out. Devontae Adams was my wide receiver one, you know, all that good stuff. So I did the same thing for slot corners, for those who don't know. And Chris Harris Jr. was uh, top two. Uh, so yeah. I don't really like that's kind of the slot corner market right now. There weren't a ton of guys that are available that also have played you know, a hundred or more slot snaps last year or were even healthy. So like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of for Bradley Roby because there's not really uh, a ton of options out there right now. And right now also that no one's really, I don't think anyone's projected the chargers to take a corner in this draft. And, you know, maybe it's because they value a slot corner guy later on in the second round or something. But a lot of guys are doing, you know, interior defensive line, offensive tackle, even wide receiver, edge rusher. No one's really talking about corner slot corner. So, you know them shoring that up in the draft or excuse me in free agency um if they if they cut bradley roby that works for me i think it should be an upgrade over chris harris jr but then again like i said he was top two for among free agents this year um so what are you gonna do any thoughts there alex um no you guys are nerds for doing composite rankings <laughs> and also i do hey. think uh so i, I mean i don't know I feel like the Chargers not having been mocked a cornerback in the draft isn't a big deal at this point. I mean, they haven't, yeah. I mean, there's not really a lot out there right now in terms of like connecting the Chargers to a corner. I also think people are going to move up and down, but um, also hard to mock a corner in the first round when the GM doesn't take cornerbacks in the draft. Um, that <laughs> That's a little bit of a difficult thing to do, yeah. but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, um, you know, they're the, the slot corner group in terms of free agents, like I feel like K1 Williams, I don't know where he ranked. I can't remember where he ranked in Tyler in your composite rankings, but I feel like he's probably like the best one still. I mean, Bryce Callahan to me feels like, you know, pencil him in. He was with Brandon Staley in Chicago. He was with Brandon Staley in Denver. And I, it's a little redundant, obviously. You're, you're swapping out former Bronco for former Bronco, but. I feel like Bryce Callahan is a little younger. He's probably better. As long as they are able to supplement the, the uh, depth behind him, I feel like that would be okay. But um, they have to they have to find some kind of upgrade over Chris Harris. And I feel like drafting, relying on a rookie is probably not the solution there. So 
Uh, if the Saints do move on from Bradley Roby, I feel like that would be kind of my preference there in terms of signing somebody to fill that position. But um, we'll have to see again. In terms of Saints players, like I said, you know, uh, of course, everybody's going to freak out like, Tom Tulisco's not doing anything, but these players have to become available first. So um, that's just kind of where I'm at. Obviously, things will will stay uh, fluid there and we'll keep you guys updated. Um, all right. Any other thoughts here as it pertains to the Chargers potentially poaching uh, some talent from the Saints? Nope. All right. So um, we're going to get into our main topic of the day, which, of course, uh, is reviewing the Chargers offensive line and running back rooms uh, from this past season. We'll also talk about some potential strategies to uh, improve those units next year. As, as Tom Telesco said, they're not going to look at this offense and, and just kind of run it back like they are going to add some bodies and improve. Uh, so uh, let's let's talk about the offensive line first, and then we'll get into the running backs. I think uh, this is you know, arguably the most improved unit from last season, actually not arguably, I think it yeah. is the yes, most it is. improved <laughs> unit um, from last season. And, and that was something that obviously Brandon Staley uh, mentioned that they needed to get a better structure around Justin Herbert as, as kind of their main mission uh, last off season. So Alex, your, your thoughts here on the chargers kind of accomplishing that mission and, and really improving this offensive line this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, the offensive line had been unwatchable <laughs> in recent <laughs> years, whenever you would get film. And uh, so, you know, the fact that they had Slater, Lindsley, and Filer, and, and just guys that they could stick in there um, and really not have to worry about almost at all, like in any game, uh, that's just such a huge upgrade over what they had previously. Um, I, I do think it was a significant upgrade. I don't know if, Stephen, you have any rankings that would tell tell us where they sort of finished around the league. I don't know if they're like offensive line rankings. I think they were fifth rankings. in PBE. After yeah, fast walking, yeah, fast yeah. walking efficiency. I mean, 23 spots is a huge uh, upgrade there. So um, that's something to keep track of. I guess for me, the story with offensive line is how different things might have been if Brian Balaga stayed healthy because um, we, we talked about that sort of heading into the postseason, you know, with Storm Norton having to play so many of these high-profile games um, and, you know, just not, frankly, performing as well in them. I, I feel like he was sort of the key to the whole thing. And we just talked with Ode Bushi who talked about how well that starting five was gelling, um, you know, when the Chargers had it prior to week one at Washington and then didn't have it the rest of the season so um i i think the story is you know how much they improved obviously but also how much there is to go if you do go get a right tackle in the draft you know trevor penning or you know someone like that uh and then continue to build out that offensive line or you know you you know re-sign oday abushi but also pursue uh some more guards maybe somewhere in the draft or start steven's guy brendan hymas uh which you know would make him very happy I think there's a lot of ways that you can go with the offensive line to boost it even more than we've already boosted it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just really quickly, you know, as Tyler said, they were, they did finish fifth in pass blocking efficiency rating. Uh, They actually finished 13th in team pass blocking win rate on ESPN uh, and run blocking win rate. Excuse me. They were 20th. So, um, last year they were 31st in pass block win rate and 32nd in run block win rate. So those were, you know, huge, huge jumps forward. I mean, it, it's not very common that we see, 
those kind of leaps. And I think every every team now is is kind of searching for that kind of thing. I had to laugh today. I was listening to um, one of the podcasts on the Athletic Football Show, and they were talking about um, it was Dane Brugler and um, I forget the other guy, but they were talking about how the Bears should approach like protecting Justin Fields and. Dane Brugler, Brugler was like, yeah, well, they can look at the Chargers as like a blueprint for how to fix the offensive line. And I was like, yeah, like, let's go. Like, you know, how crazy is that looking back on things? But um, I, I think the general improvement for this group was just insane. And like, I actually went into like every single week watching film, like really excited to see how they performed, you know, against pressure looks, against and, and handling stunts and everything like that. And like it was fun for me watching the Chargers offensive line on film this year, whereas opposed to last year, every single time I pop on the tape and just want to bang my head against the wall. Um, so the improvement here was crazy high. And of course, it helps to have, you know, Marshawn Slater and Corey Lindsay have second team all pro kind of seasons. And then, like you guys were saying, right? Like you still have a weakness at right tackle. You know, we'll see what happens at right guard. But from center to left tackle, this team is in such a good position next year and the year after that um, when Filer's contract will come up. But, you know, the, the improvements on the left side and center could not have been any better than what we got. No, the AFC West did a really good job. Well, two teams in the AFC two West teams, did a really yeah. good job of, <laughs> of reshuffling their offensive line. The Raiders, not so much, um, but that's they didn't really invest as much as the Chargers did, although they did take uh, Leatherwood. But um, it's so impressive. We went into last season thinking Brian Balaga was the only guy we knew for sure about everything else was up in the air. And the idea that they yeah. wouldn't bring back Lamp, they wouldn't bring back Feeney, they wouldn't bring back Tevye. It's like, man, you really should have some depth going into the free agency or the draft or, or something. But they figured it out. I mean, Rashawn Slater, Matt Filer, Corey Lindsley, Odie Abushi when he was healthy. A fantastic group of four. Brian Balaga, unfortunately, got hurt, obviously. Storm Norton, yeah. allowing the most pressures in the league. It just did not work out, but it's a kind of also an unfair situation. And they sure. had to pass protect 72 times in the final game. Um, <laughs> so he probably wouldn't have been that bad if they didn't have to do that. But, um, you know, I think regardless of what happened to Balaga, I think they would be in the same position this year. If they have one more year on his contract, you're looking for, you know, a guy in the draft in the second or third round, you know, to bridge after Brian Balaga. Or, you know, same thing this, this offseason. You're probably going to find a veteran in free agency and you're going to draft someone in the second or third round, maybe to bridge between that veteran and, and, and you know, your new offensive line moving forward. So I think they're kind of in the same spot there, but either way, just a fantastic job. I can't believe there was, I don't know if they finished here, but I believe at least before the Raiders game, they were ahead of the Patriots in pass blocking efficiency. And to me, like the Patriots are just always that standard of being, you know, top yeah. five, top 10 offensive line. And for the, for the chargers to be, even in that conversation, let alone ahead of them, it was fantastic. And Frank Smith just did, and, and Sean Surratt, we talked to uh, Ode Abushi about, just did a fantastic job because, you know, yeah, Rashawn Slater was pro ready. And yeah, Matt Filer was a good veteran. Yeah, Corey Lindsley was, you know, an, an all pro. And yeah, or excuse me, a pro bowler? He wasn't, no, he wasn't all pro, not a pro bowler, right? Who? Sorry. Corey Lindsley. No, it's all good. Uh, Corey was, Corey was both, I think, wasn't he? He, he didn't have one no, heading into the season. He wasn't one of them. Anyway, oh, yeah, last year he was not a pro or he wasn't all pro yeah. last year. Yeah. Anyway, but even the even though those guys were very talented, were very good, for them to all gel that fast and do as well as they get did against the Washington football team week one was fantastic. You know, you have Michael Schofield come in for Ode Abuji, and on a critical fourth down, he's trap blocking Miles Garrett 
and they pick up the first down. Like the guys were just ready to go into the yeah. game. You know, Brandon Hymas, kind of an odd situation, but I do think he looked good. He will be ready. Trey Pipkins improved. Storm Norton, I do think improved. He just isn't a good tackle. Um, and then we won't talk about Senor Kelamate, but overall, I think <laughs> they were very, very solid. And, you know, if, if Hymas, if they bring back Questenberry and Hymas is your backup guard on the left or right side, and you have, you know, Trey Pipkins as your swing tackle, and, you know, you really, even if you draft a right tackle, you have a guy now at every backup spot who has been drafted by your team, which I don't think the Chargers have had for a very long time. It's been like, oh, okay, yeah. Sam Tevy. Well, next guy up is Trent Scott. You know, <laughs> not that Trey Pickens is, is that all that amazing, but I feel better knowing that the Chargers actually invested and have draft picks behind their good starters rather than just some kind of like, I don't know, this guy you've never heard of who isn't very good. Good luck, Justin Herbert. I feel like they're going to be, uh, you know, obviously a lot better off this year. So them only having to address one spot this year is great. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Tyler alluded to what I was going to say, like the fact that we don't have to throw Tread Scott to the game or the fact that, yeah. you know, you have three all pro caliber players on that side of the line. And then that kind of lets you get away with maybe two injuries on it like that. That's just something the Chargers couldn't do before. Right. Like they were basically below average most of the time. And then they were one injury away from being 32nd yes. or total disaster, you know. Uh, so uh, for me, that is the major improvement this year that they have some consistency and they also have some, you know, promise going forward. Yeah. You know, remember when we were like, oh shit, if Russell Okun can't come back from this lung injury or whatever, then we're just fucked all season long. Like that was fun. Um, so we'll, you know, I, I think this, this group to me has shown that they'll put their money where their mouth is in terms of the regime. Like they're going to continue to build up the trenches. And it's going to be fun to see what that looks like. But, you know, generally speaking, this team is in a much better position going forward because of these, uh, you know, things going out or things panning out the way that they did. And I think we all kind of knew that Corey Lindsley would be, you know, at least challenged for all pro season. I think it's pretty safe to say, though, that Matt Filer and even Rashawn Slater really exceeded expectations. And, you know, uh, Tyler got to ask uh, Ode Abuji about Rashawn Slater. And, you know, Ode had trained with Rashawn, you know, heading into the draft and in the offseason, things like that. So he obviously knew how good he could be. But, you know, the way that Rashawn really came in and just dominated from the get go is honestly crazy to me. Also crazy that ESPN had Mac Jones higher than him in the rookie rankings, um, which is another thing we could potentially get into. But, you know, I remember like last year thinking like, you know, heading into 2020, I was like, okay, we just need to get Sam Tevy to not be allowing five <laughs> pressures a game like every uh, other game. Because Sam Sam would have like one good game and then yeah. be like five pressures, four pressures, one pressure, five pressures. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. it was just like one every three games would just be awful. There was not a single game this year where Rashawn Slater allowed more than four pressures. Mm. And one of those games in which he did allow four was when he had to pass block 72 fucking times against the Raiders <laughs> to end the season. And this man, like, it was crazy to me watching him every single week. He had, let me count this up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games out of the season where he allowed one pressure or zero pressures. Like, Rashawn Slater, you know, I can't speak enough about him because he really came in. I mean, we were all so excited when he got drafted. And for him to exceed expectations as first or second best tackle in the draft class last year, like it's insane. It speaks. It obviously speaks to him. It speaks mm-hmm. to 
this team in general and the way that Frank Smith and Sean Surratt kind of coach these guys up. But Rashawn, man, I, I, I can't wait to see what the sophomore leap looks like for him. We saw Tristan Wirfs took a huge leap forward. Uh, and obviously those two are kind of competing for best young tackles in the league right now. But the way that Rashawn played, man, I could not have been any happier there. Yeah, and, and I think it's one of those things where we sort of went into week one, and I remember I was a little bit more tepid. I was like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think Slater's eventually going to be good, but, you mm-hmm. know, this first game coming into Washington, yeah. you know, I feel like there's going to be some jitters, maybe the first couple weeks, and then he'll, you know, sort of hit this groove. But Steven was very confident, and then he was right. You know, Rashawn Slater was a pro bowler before he really ever hit the field. You know, yeah. he, he was just that kind of player um you know there there was never really a let up um and it just kept going throughout the entire season which um is crazy considering you know what the chargers have had in recent years but also considering his age and you know the fact that this is was his first year and that theoretically he can only get better from here no an incredible performance uh, the entire year we were all very high on him i think he was top six for all of us or top five or top six for in our in our pre-draft rankings, but still, I didn't expect him to be like, yeah, please, running back, please stop helping me. I have Miles Garrett. <laughs> right, please stop helping me. I literally can't. I just stop. You're making it worse for me. I'll take care of it myself. Like him doing that, it's yeah. one of the most incredible things I've ever seen a player in his first year in the league. I mean, I, well, okay, I, I take that back because we have Justin Herbert on our team and Jeremy James. <laughs> they had some pretty good first years too. Yeah. But for an offensive lineman to be that confident after a year off like that incredible stuff and i i almost just kind of stopped like you watch him and you you know you see him do good stuff but i almost just stopped paying attention to him i didn't watch him during games i just like he's got it i like whatever i'm you know it's gonna be great either way i just really kind of stopped paying attention because he was that good it's almost like a shutdown corner where it's like you just don't hear from him yeah because he's, he's just that good yeah absolutely man it was it was crazy when they came out after the game that Austin Eckler was like, yeah, Rashawn told me to stop blocking him. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess Miles Garrett, like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, this is crazy. Uh, but I mean, he deserves it. And just, you know, again, looking at his statute again, this is pro football focus. You know, my numbers are probably a, at least a little different. Right. But, you know, Alex mentioned that, you know, I, I kind of figured that there would be some kind of rust that he would have to shake off, but, I mean, he only allowed one pressure against the Chiefs, one pressure against the Raiders in, in the first week, zero pressures against Washington uh, in week one. Granted, that team kind of you know fell off the cliff after a little bit, but we all were expecting that to be the best defensive line in the league. So um, Rashawn was awesome this year. I thought that he really was even more impressive as a run blocker, strangely, because that man was just doing – crazy things down the stretch even after after he had COVID for a week like you know it, it just was so much fun watching him and Matt Filer and I know that there still is a lot of talk about like moving Matt Filer to right tackle and that's where you mm-hmm. put Hymas and things like that but you know with the way that that left side had is playing and did play this year I think we can just kind of leave it as be and let them continue to you know grow that relationship grow that chemistry and build on what they were doing uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, we sort of just talked about it with Abushi, and, you know, how he talked about them being contingency plans, right? Like, Filer can kick out to right tackle like we talked about all season. Mm-hmm. Never happened. Um, yeah. But I think part of the reason it never happened, like Steven said, is just they liked Filer and Slater there, and they liked yeah. them next to Lindsley. And, it, you know, even if you have to deal with Storm Norton on the other side, it doesn't really make sense to to break up that chemistry. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So in terms of the future, right? So Michael Schofield is a free agent. Ode Ibushi is a free agent. Storm Norton is a restricted free agent. Uh, and then, of course, Brian Bulaga is is this year's you know cut candidate, really the mm-hmm. only one on the Chargers. Uh, but they can save $11 million by cutting him. So uh, let's focus in on the right tackle here, Tyler. What are, I mean, you've done, we've done our composite rankings list. What, what's kind of your plan of approach to solving the right tackle spot this year? Kind of where you're at in terms of your preferred approach. Yeah, I'm definitely looking for a veteran in free agency, even if it's a one-year rental sort of thing. You know, I, I like um, Dennis Kelly. I think that's someone you, they should roll with, considering the familiarity, considering it's going to be cheap, considering the numbers are good. I mean, he started in 2020 for the Titans and gave up zero sacks. You want a right tackle that can do that? That sounds pretty good to me. Also blocked for a guy who had 2,000 rushing yards. So, you know, not a yeah. bad guy, pretty high up there in pass blocking efficiency this year. Is he going to be your long-term solution? No, but I think... If you look at the draft and at least the guys that I'm looking at, whether it's it's Penning or Bernard Raymond or Falele or some of these other guys, I just I don't know if I feel comfortable taking those guys at 17 and plugging them in. A considering the needs that the Chargers have, and B because I just there's question marks about each of those guys. I don't feel like there's no Rashawn Slater in that group. Obviously, there's not even really a Christian Darrisaw in my opinion. Um, you know, I I just you know with um. With Raymond, like I think General Jeremiah mocked him to the Chargers. He's going to be 25 in September, and he's just learning how to play football after coming from Austria. You know, Falele is a super, you know, you want to build that talent, you want to work with that talent, and I trust the Chargers to do it, you know, but he's kind of young to the position. He's from Northern Australia. You know, so there's a lot of guys in this draft. Trevor Penning, who's, you know, a mean dude. It would be awesome to watch him on the right side of the line. I think he's meaner than Tevin Jenkins. But he had 19 penalties last year for Northern Iowa. So it's just there's not a single guy at that 17th spot or projected to be there that feels really, really good. So I'd like them to take a veteran, just plug him in, be, you know, 50% better than Storm Norton. And I think we can survive for a year. You know, I think that you can survive for a little bit and then take someone later on in the draft. I haven't looked at those guys later in the draft yet, but I think, you know, second, third, even third round tackle just to have behind someone like Dennis Kelly who will cost you three, four, five million at most. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I tend to agree with a lot of that. Um, there's not really a lot of high value right tackle options. Like the best one is, I mean, from a quality standpoint is probably Trent Brown, but he's coming off of a season where he had a nagging calf injury and he's probably going to be pretty expensive compared to the other guys like Dennis Kelly uh, that Tyler just mentioned. So I think you have to kind of weigh out the economics of that. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to them spending a first round pick on one, but also right. Like when it comes to the offensive tackles that the Chargers can take this year, people shouldn't be expecting Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater and that, you know, quality of guy. Um, Maybe, maybe guys that are more along the lines of a Darisaw that, you know, you know, you sort of have to wait uh, and, you know, let them develop at their own pace. Uh, So I'll be, curious to see if the chargers pursue it in the first round but i sort of doubt they would go tackle in the first round back-to-back years so i, I do think that it is probably more of a second third round tendency um and you know uh, you take your chances there and see if you can hit a shot in the dark um hopefully it works out yeah you know there aren't a ton of free agents this year you know tyler mentioned dennis kelly i think that's probably the kind of range that you're looking for, you know, a mid-tier veteran free agent. And I, I tend to agree that that's kind of the the best approach. I think I think the goal here is not 
having to back yourself into a corner and you have to draft a right tackle in the first round because right now, like, I mean, everybody's kind of focusing on the defensive line, but right now before free agency, like right tackle is probably the biggest hole, at least of value, right. Of first round value where, you know, you're trying to protect Justin Herbert. So um, I, I tend to agree. You want to add a mid-level free agent. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they signed like a Morgan Moses to like a two-year deal. Although his numbers are are not fantastic. Some of that maybe could have been, you know, he was in New York and maybe that wasn't a great situation for him, but he does have a coaching connection. Uh, as I've mentioned, Shane Day was an assistant offensive line coach in Washington when Moses was drafted. Uh, he's spent his entire career pretty much doing uh, the Shanahan outside zone scheme. So there is some scheme familiarity there too. He's a little older. Um, when asked about Lyle Collins, uh, he seems like he could potentially be a cut candidate um, from the Cowboys. And if that does happen, then of course, like that's, that's free agent number one. I just don't know if the chargers would be willing to spend, you know, 17, $18 million that it would probably take to sign him. Um, you know, Jermaine Fetty wouldn't be all awful, although I would rather probably have Dennis Kelly. So, I tend to agree that you probably want to sign somebody for a year, maybe two, and then not have to force yourself to drafting a tackle in the first round. I'm a much bigger fan of Trevor Penning than Tyler appears to be. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that pans out at the senior bowl. But the thing with this offensive line draft class is it's a lot of small school guys. You know, it's Southern Utah, Central Michigan, Northern Iowa, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, I just, you know, there always is that kind of concern about is this guy going to come in and be an immediate quality starter? Is there going to be a lot of rust there? Is there going to be a lot of adjustment to the speed and everything like that? So I, I think you kind of wait till the second, third round, ideally add a veteran to kind of take the pressure off of him. And then I think you can bring back Storm Norton and let him and Trey Pipkins battle it out for presumably that that tackle four spot, which is really what they should have been doing this past year. Uh, but that's another conversation. I, I see the same sort of comments about, well, you know, Herbert's mobile and they did fine. They were top five offense <laughs> this year. So we don't have to worry about right tackle that much. I just, they do. I mean, if you yeah, watch the do. game against, against the Cowboys, Parsons <laughs> killed Storm Norton. You watch the game against yeah. the Patriots. Max Crosby. He got killed. Yeah, Max Crosby. You know, there are significant games in the AFC that they played last year. And they will be facing some of these teams next year and definitely in the postseason. You know, you got to find a right tackle. I'm not saying it's a round one need. I'm not saying it's spent, you know, trade for someone and spend $18 million on them. But you do have to put somebody out there that's better than Storm Norton um, because the AFC is full of some good guys out there that had yeah. already had success against the Chargers. The Ravens aren't going away. The Bills aren't going away. Melvin Ingram's probably back uh, with, the, with the Chiefs at this rate. <laughs> you know, Max Crosby's not going anywhere. So, you do have to address it. I know Herbert is mobile and he was mobile in 2020, but he got absolutely killed back there because, right. you know, he was always mobile, but the right tackle situation, no situation was any good. So, you know, you got to invest in it somewhere. Yeah. And, and I mean, like if the Chargers generally had pretty decent luck with injuries in 2021 compared to previous years, but like, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the loss of Brian Balaga is straight up why they weren't in the playoffs, right? I mean, like, you know, you can talk about that over a number of games, whether it's the uh, Cowboys game against Parsons earlier in the year or the one that we just finished with, the Crosby game against the Chargers. 
So, I mean, you know, we can say it's like not a big deal and then pretend it doesn't exist. And it's like, ah, just put Norton and Pipkins there. But it's like, you know, I I, I like Tyler's that I don't think you have to take it in the first round or you have to go spend a bunch of money on a free agent. But uh, I I do think it's something you have to address going into next year unless you just want to, you know, go crazy and repeat history and do the same thing over again. And we're nine and eight next year. Yeah, I I think the thing with I always get the same comments, right? It was like, oh, well, like left tackle, you only just need a left tackle. And, you know, Tyler pointed out, like, every team that you face is going to have two guys. Like, that's the reality of the NFL is that basically 80% of the league has two quality edge rushers that they're going to throw out both sides. So you need two tackles. Like, you, you just need it. And, you know, as long as that person is serviceable, sure, like you can get by. But we had years and years and years of like, well, he's a serviceable player, like at best, like, why would you try to continue to settle for that? You know, so I think that, you know, I'm never going to say no to a a tackle in the first round. Right. But I think the smart thing, again, is is kind of doing a second, third rounder, a little bit of a lesser scale of like what they did last year with Abushi and Hymas at the guard position. So um, I, I forgot to mention Cam Fleming. He's another one that would make a lot of sense. There is obviously a lot of coaching connections there because he was on the Broncos the last two years or the three years, I think. Um, so Cam Fleming is, is somebody I think could make a lot of sense too. Um, in terms of the guard, um, you know, we'll let you guys watch the Ode Abushi interview, um, but obviously it makes a ton of sense to bring him back. And at the very least, you know, you let him and Brendan Hymas compete if they wanted to add a draft pick like in the fifth, sixth round or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe that person could have some center guard flexibility. But in terms of free agency, I don't think we expect them to really do a whole lot of guard outside of bringing back Odi Ibushi. Am I, am I right there? Yeah, no, that sounds about right. The only thing is Scott Questenberry, and I do think they bring him back. I don't see why you wouldn't bring him back. He's been good for you in starts. You drafted him. But, you know, nothing's guaranteed. And listen, I don't notice these things because I don't care. But Steven noticed that Brennan Hymas was taking snaps at center just in warm-ups at that last Raiders game. Probably means nothing, but he was doing that. Yeah, maybe was weird. Maybe worth paying attention to. Um, but yeah, pretty sure Ode Buji is going to be back. Yeah, um, don't think there's a ton other to say on the guards. Uh, you know, I think they probably run it back with Abushi, you know, or at least give him a chance to compete after the ACL injury, right? Like, um, I mean, he'll be really cheap. He only costs one and a half million, two million uh, this year. So, I mean, going forward, yeah. uh, that would be probably the reasonable expectation for his salary on a year-to-year basis as well. Um, and like you said, you can kind of have Hymas fight for it. Uh, do we want to trade Turner reunion, anyone? <laughs> Uh, wasn't bad no. this year <laughs> i mean the steelers offensive line is a lot of uh fool's gold in my opinion um because big ben's getting rid of the ball after like half a second um but you know the highest thing was interesting i don't know if that was the first time that he was taking center reps it was just the first time that i had the chance to notice it um but if they want to cross train him there i think that's totally fine um you know but I, I I think he's a guard. Like I think that him switching to center is, is probably a bit much. I think in an ideal world, in terms of high misses development, like he he challenges O'Day and he beats out O'Day. Like I think from his development, that's that's probably like best case scenario. Um, but you know, I think for the Chargers, you probably bring back O'Day. He starts, he's healthy, 
plays more than four games, obviously. And then Hymas takes over the year after that uh, in 2023. Yeah, uh, the whole cross-training thing, we kind of sort of got to that with Abuji and we asked him about being an emergency tackle. And then we asked about you know him being a center, and he's like, oh, hell no, I'll never play center. Don't ever ask me to do that. So, yeah, I think Hymas will be sticking at guard and maybe emergency tackle too. Uh, are we done with offensive line? Or yes, we... Let's, uh, okay. we can definitely move on to uh, <laughs> running backs. So now. Larry Roundtree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do want to start with Austin Eckler, though, because, you know, he obviously had the 20 touchdowns, but, um, you know, he's another guy that really exceeded expectations. And we knew, obviously, that the Chargers had this big-time Alvin Kamara-esque role in mind there. So, um, Alex, what would you make of Austin Eckler's season? Uh, it was really good, uh, and I thought that this was, you know, I, I don't think he made the Pro Bowl, right? It was an alternate, but this was yeah. a Pro Bowl caliber season for him. Uh, rushing, receiving, really did everything uh, for this team. And, you know, I think the main storyline that we kind of kept going back and forth with in 2021 was just they didn't really have an RB2 to support him. Uh, and, you know, we'll sort of get into that. I think Justin Jackson did well towards the end of the year, but you do have this running back in Austin Eckler who very clearly is, you know, putting up peak production. I think you can assume the next, you know, one to two years of his career are are sort of also going to be in line with 2021 and, and continue that peak production. Um, So I I feel like you just have to get more support from him behind him. uh, So then you can take the stress off because it just became very clear that there was a midpoint in the season, not where his production went down, but, he was just taking more hits, taking more of a beating. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the physical toll that that's going to take over time, you know, that, that I think that will end up being somewhat of a problem if the Chargers don't fix the RB2 or RB3 situation. So um, we'll see what it is going forward. But as for Austin Eckler himself, uh, I mean, he was great. Uh, and, you know, he was everything that we've sort of expected, uh, you know, him to be in this offense, to be sort of that Alvin Kamara type figure, you know, he lived up to that uh, and more. Yeah, it, it seemed to be the quietest 1,500-yard, 20-touchdown season that I can remember. I mean, yeah. you know, everybody's like, Alvin Kamara, Alvin Kamara, Alvin Kamara. And, you know, I think in fantasy football circles, everyone knows who Austin Eckler is. But, sure. you know, he, him not really getting that respect into voting is, you know, maybe he doesn't care, maybe he does. Uh, but he, he's a fantastic player, and they do need help. I think it was about a little before the Bengals game and then during that Bengals game where he had two fumbles. You know, it's also kind of a freak accident, but it looked like, oh, man, is he kind of wearing down? You know, does he, and he, at some point during the season, he got on the podium and said, hey, I need help. Somebody behind me has to step up and be a running back, too, mm-hmm. because I can't do this by my like, I'm not physically built to be a, you know, 300 touch running back. You know, and you're certainly not paying me all that much. You're paying me a lot, but you're not paying me, you know, 15 million dollars a year. So with that build, with that contract, you know, he needs some other guys behind him as well. I'm um, nice to see Justin Jackson step up, but. Uh, the other guys uh, on the team, the other three dudes that weren't Justin Jackson, Austin Eckler, uh, big problem. You know, I think it is absolutely a big problem. And it was it was super weird. Like, we talked about the rotation a ton this year, how annoying it was. Um, and I think Austin Eckler does need help. I think mean, he had 900 yards rushing, and that's fantastic. Obviously, set a career high there. Um, but in an ideal world, you know, he's not getting 200 carries. I think you kind of lose some of that receiving explosiveness that we are so used to seeing um, because he was just 
being used as a complete workhorse. I mean, like it, it's great to know that he can put up, you know, a, a 1500 yard season and 20 touchdowns. Like that's awesome. But, you know, I think in an ideal world, you have somebody that can rotate with him and at least take like 30, 35% of the workload away from him consistently, consistently. And we saw that at the end of the season with Justin Jackson, after they finally figured out like which running back two they wanted to, and trust with that workload. But, you know, I think next year going forward, like I want to see them be able to keep Eckler a little bit more fresh. And I think that will help help in, you know, the yards after catch criteria that everybody is talking about right now. It will help in the explosiveness of the offense. It will help in ideally cutting down some of his uh, mistakes. Cause you know, we talked uh, last week about the drops, you know, that was a rare thing for him. And obviously they, you know, the, the pick six in Denver was off of an Austin Eckler drop. So I think keeping him fresher will help with, you know, the, cutting down the mistakes as well. And so, uh, you know, NSN asked the question now, and I think that's a good time to lead into it. Justin Jackson, obviously a free agent this year, very up and down tenure with the Chargers, But when he's been on the field, he's been very explosive. The question is, do they bring him back? What do they do with Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree? Tyler, where are you at with the running backs behind Austin Eckler that are, are on the roster and Justin Jackson, of course, there? I think you have to bring Justin Jackson back, but I do believe as a complimentary sort of RB3. Okay, well, here's what I would do. I would bring back Justin Jackson as a complimentary RB3. Could spell him, obviously, as an RB2, but I think you see his work on special teams, particularly against the Denver Broncos recently. You know, he can yeah. fly down the field and make a tackle. He can also contribute, um, you know, as a running back. Uh, he His per-touch average was double that of Kelly and Roundtree's. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, like, better player. You want him back. But I do think that they should look for somebody in free agency that could be a better yards-after-contact sort of guy. I think everyone's looking for a big bruiser. I don't necessarily think you have to go find a big bruiser. Obviously, Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson did well in this offense because the offensive line was so good. So if you have a good offensive line, you don't have to go out and get some big thumping bruiser sort of guy. You know, I think you want to go for like a, a cheap guy. I think his contract was projected at like $2 million. Something like a Darius Johnson, who was top five in yards after contact average uh, among free agent running backs. I think that's kind of a guy you should look at and go get. A guy who's generally pretty fresh, kind of unknown on the cheap, but a guy who can spell Austin Eckler more as a runner. Um, his receiving numbers weren't that great, but maybe he could work into that. If Eckler as your, you know, your hybrid, Justin Jackson as your third down back, running back, whatever, just make a nice actual running back room. Because right now, I mean, Kelly and Roundtree aren't it. I don't know what the yards after contact average was, but I can't imagine it was good. It, it, it would almost surprise me if it were positive. I know it is positive, but it feels like they just kind of hit contact, went down. The running backs behind them, behind Austin Eckler, those two guys at least, were just not good. I mean, they, they combined for 226 total yards on 75 touches with 3.01 yards per touch. Like I said, Justin Jackson, he literally doubled that at 6.02 yards per touch. I just, like, they're going to roll with one of those guys. One of those guys is going to be the RB2. It seems like it's Joshua Kelly based on the way things played out last season. But I hate it. Like, the group stinks. And if they don't bring Justin Jackson back, and they go with Roundtree, Kelly, and Eckler. I guess we're passing it, you know, seven <laughs> more times a game because, yeah. like, those guys are just not good. And everyone's like, okay, you know, Kelly was just struggling the first year in the league. Maybe he'll be better in his second year. Maybe on a per play basis, he was, but like, there was just really wasn't anything there. 
was having trouble on third down pass blocking, wasn't exactly being a very explosive runner, wasn't contributing on special teams. And then Larry Roundtree has negative one receiving yards this year. So <laughs> you, you have to find something better because it's really yeah. bad right now. But the theme of this year seems to be, I drafted these guys. We're going to go with the guys that we drafted. And I think that's no different with the running backs this year. So I would bring back Justin Jackson. I would sign a Duranus Johnson because the numbers make sense and the contract makes sense. And you need someone who's better with yards after contact. But they're going to go with Austin Eckler and probably the two guys they drafted recently. And I'm going to hate it, but they probably are. Yeah, really quickly before Alex jumps in here. Uh, so Justin Jackson averaged 3.56 yards per con or yards after contact per attempt. Austin Eckler was at 3.01. Those are very good numbers, particularly Justin Jackson. That's a fantastic number. Uh, Joshua Kelly, two yards per attempt, yards after contact. And Larry Roundtree, 1.97. So, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> sweet. Um, you know, those are your your big physical backs that are supposed to be your, your bruisers that are supposed to get those tough yards, and they did not do that. So um, I, I think if we're talking about, like, adding a running back, like, I think when you look at these zone heavy rushing attacks that the chargers are trying to do, you don't really have that big physical bruiser back. Like if you look at what the Niners Niners. have in their running back room, it's a bunch of slashers. It's a bunch of Justin Jackson, Elijah Mitchell. uh, I forget his name from last year. Um, Frick Wilson. Wilson Wilson. is, is another one too, but the guy who was like their leading rusher last year, I forget his name right now. Um, I mean, Trey Sermon, who they drafted this year, but you see them like they don't have like big physical backs. They have slashers mm-hmm. who can hit a hole and then, you know, put your foot in the ground and then go. And so that's why I like a Dearness Johnson. That's why I like, you know, somebody asked earlier about James Cook, the running back from Georgia. I would kind of hate drafting another running back, but it's that kind of back that you're looking for. Somebody that's a decisive one cut runner with speed, not a physical bruiser. I just don't think it really fits in this offense. And Austin Eckler proved this year that he can do, you know, the tough physical yards. I mean, he had 12 touchdowns and most of them were in the red zone. So my jumping in before Alex turned into a little bit of a rant there, but uh, Alex, go ahead. Man, who was saying that this offense didn't need a bruising <laughs> running back last year? I, I don't know. Uh, look, uh, the RB three problem. I mean, particularly when we talk about Joshua Kelly and and Larry Roundtree, I don't know. Like th- that was my problem when Larry Roundtree was drafted over someone like Khalil Herbert or just in the draft in general. Like I, I didn't really. We we've talked about needing more explosiveness in this offense, and this whole chat has been, hey, we need more explosive running backs. Like, I mean, people were saying that you know a year ago. People were saying that when they drafted Joshua Kelly, and still they opted for you know kind of like goal line backs who aren't even that successful like around the goal line right now right uh or in short yardage situations so to me that's the issue there um as far as justin jackson i think it'd be interesting to bring him back potentially as rb2 um but i do think there's a lot of interesting ways that they can go in free agency steven just brought up the guy who was formerly uh the lead runner in san francisco raheem mostert um you know he could you know potentially be a choice there he is an uh, unrestricted free agent we just talked about Cordero Patterson, um, I think, actually, in our uh, wide receivers episode that we did on Sunday. Um, and he sort of has that running back wide receiver flexibility um, if they wanted to go that route. Um, there's really, you know, it, it's a stacked free agent class, I feel like, as far as those RB2s that, are, you know, can kind of have some RB1 flexibility. 
there, there's a lot of them in free agency if you just want to go on spot track and go down the list. But um, so, I mean, I think the first question that has to be answered is, do you want Justin Jackson back? If not, I do think you have to find some kind of like bona fide RB2 uh, in this free agent class to replace him uh, or at least someone that you think is like capable of doing that. Uh, particularly also someone who has that after contact ability, like we just talked about with Justin Jackson. Um, So, you know, they'll have to weigh the kind of pros and cons of that with the injuries that Justin Jackson's had uh, over his last couple of years. Um, But yeah, no, I, I just have such a tough time seeing Joshua Kelly or Larry Roundtree on this team. Um, I mean, I think they're at the very least going to bring Roundtree back because they just drafted him. Um, but I mean, the, the common theme that you heard in the Telesco and Staley press conferences is we expect more of Josh. Um, I mean, like they, they both sort of said a version of that in their ending press conferences. And it, it seems like they are kind of disappointed in what they got at RB three and RB four on the roster this year. Yeah. We went with four running backs, huh? Uh, still funny. Uh, but no, I, uh, I don't know. I just think going forward, like you have Austin Eckler. I have, I feel confident that they can get an RB two in some way, but you know, what's really going to make or break this unit is what they decide to do. If they decide to just keep three running backs and then keep a round tree or a Kelly, or are they really going to run it back with four again next year? And I just, I don't see the point at this point. Uh, I feel like you just kind of have to cut your losses doing the big physical running back thing. I don't know why they ever did that. It never made any sense in this offense, especially when your lead running backs are Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Um, But yeah, I think you have to cut your losses and try to get someone who, um, you know, has some of that ability that we just talked about and could be more dynamic in this offense. Uh, James Conner, Marlon Mack free agents as well. So those are a couple kind of guys you can go after. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know how you go with Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree going forward, but the overwhelming likelihood is at least one of them is back. Yeah, I it, it's a weird situation. And I think, you know, really kind of my theme of the offseason for the offense, really just I need more competition. Like I need legitimate competition on this roster. And that's going to require this team to make some tough decisions. Of course it is. Like if you bring back Justin Jackson and that's the only thing you do. And then Justin Jackson gets hurt again. Like it's just setting yourself up for failure. It's setting Austin Eckler for failure. And then you're putting Justin Herbert at risk. And so if Tom Telesco is really serious about improving this offense, which it seemed like it is, then they have to add competition. And please, for the love of God, do not carry four running backs on the roster next year. You just do not need it. And so I, I think if you're asking me, like, if you have Austin Eckler, you know, like a Dearness Johnson or even like a Sony Michelle, who's a free agent who mm-hmm. ranked really highly in Tyler's list last year. And then Justin Jackson is RB3. Like, that's a really good running back room. I feel good about that room. And you can have a bunch of different options. You know, somebody's pointing out Leonard Fournette and free agency. Uh, we'll have to see. I think his playoff Lenny legacy is probably going to carry him to a bigger contract than mm-hmm. people think. Um, but you know, they're not going to have a super expensive, you know, addition if they also bring back Justin Jackson. So, um, you know, Darrell Williams from Kansas city as supercharger two one nine seven points out. I think that's fine. He was actually really good as a receiver this year, although he does have kind of have some 
fumbling issues. Um, Tyler mentioned Jeff Wilson. He's also a free agent. Jamichael Hasty from the Niners again. Uh, that kind of connection with him and Shane Day. He finished high on on Tyler's composite rankings. He's a free agent. Um, so there are some options there. I, I'm not super into the idea of like going out and spending money on a on a big name. Like I like Chase Edmonds a lot. I think he probably is a little bit too expensive. Um, but they have options. And like Alex said, this is a very interesting free agent running back class. I haven't really touched the draft class, but uh, please don't draft a running back for the third in a row. I, I can't do that. Oh, they're totally going to do it. They have like 11 <laughs> picks this time. That's enough for one yeah. running back. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do because I mean, I sort of get the idea of bringing Justin Jackson back as your complimentary third running back, but I almost feel like it's running back two or bust with him um just because i feel like there's going to be another team out there who offers him that potential role to be an rb2 um Mm -hmm. in in spite of the injuries and all that especially if it's a team that has their rb1 situation you know very fortified so i feel like he'll kind of get an opportunity somewhere else especially with some of the advanced after contact stats we've mentioned um so I'll, i'll be curious to see what happens there i i i think the most likely thing you're looking at is probably three to four running backs, depending on what they do. Um, I would prefer three. Uh, And then you probably go Austin Eckler, a free agent signing, whether that's Justin Jackson or somebody else. Um, And then I I really think they're going to pick between one of Roundtree and Kelly. I I don't think both of them will be on the team next year. And I think you've probably seen more from Roundtree. I mean, just going forward in terms of what his tendencies are, but Kelly also has a couple of plays here and there. Uh, I mean, you're you're kind of not really going on a lot here <laughs> when it comes to who was better in 2021. Uh, but no, I, uh, I I think the most likely thing is they probably uh, obviously are running back Austin Eckler. They take one of the rookies and get another RB2 through free agency. <laughs> Rogue Teeth said use all the six and seven round picks to draft a running back and hope one hits. I mean, it's like what the Eagles are doing with, with receivers in the first round. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we were having that conversation with the Eagles, you know, take, potentially taking a receiver this year earlier today. And it's like, you know, some teams in this league know how to fail fast. And like, that's a hard conversation to have. And that's not really a conversation that the Chargers have historically done. And so, you know, they're potentially looking at Larry Roundtree and Joshua Kelly as cut candidates and, that would be a strong, you know, alteration from their previous path under Tom Telesco. But uh, I mean, they have to add somebody, you know, yeah. even if you know it's an undrafted free agent who kind of surprises them. Like they just need more competition, and, and uh, you know, I, I just don't think they can run it back with this, with that duo being, you know, consistent contribute or consistent contributors. I just don't see it happening. The other reason that I think that Joshua Kelly is just the more likely cut candidate in general is that. You know, we, we did hear, I think, Telesco sort of voices displeasure in how his season played out in the RB2 situation. Sure. Um, but also, I mean, Larry Roundtree is the first Brandon Staley pick. Um, and Joshua Kelly was yeah. the, you know, remnants of the... Uh, Anthony, guy. Yeah, he was Anthony Lynn's guy who wanted to draft him in the third round. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But if you're talking about an early edge, well, obviously a lot of it will depend on preseason performance and training camp. But... I would say that Roundtree has a much likelier chance to be on this roster than Kelly going forward. I, this fucking sucks. I, I really hate this whole stupid thing. <laughs> it does. 
It does, yeah. I had a funny time watching the early games from this season and seeing how involved Larry Roundtree was in the game plan and in Gabe Neighbors, and then like three weeks later, it was like they're not even playing. So, you know, uh, it was fun. But um, all right, guys, any final thoughts here before we head out for the evening? Nope. Uh, nope, don't have too many thoughts. Uh, enjoy the Odeobushi interview tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to take these two Advil PMs and knock out. Yeah, so Alex is, uh, next time we are recording, Alex will be back uh, in a foreign country. So back to the four-hour time difference, which will be very fun. Um, you know, I mentioned the Odeobushi interview. There will also be an interview uh, with Fayetteville State cornerback josh williams who uh is kind of a late round sleeper first prospect interview of the season for us so uh check those out tomorrow as always if you're listening to this please leave us a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice like the video and subscribe to the channel on youtube we do really appreciate that um, next week we'll be talking about some other things and uh we'll be doing some senior bowl content as uh that picks up so uh, the draft process is really starting to hum along. We're all watching prospects and grading prospects. So it's uh, going to be a fun few weeks, few months of uh, content for you guys. So thanks for tuning in tonight. We'll see you guys next time.